Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. On the 24th of June, one of the most momentous US Supreme Court decisions of the past century, Roe v. Wade, was overturned. The constitutional right guaranteeing abortion for American women in all 50 states, which had stood since 1973, was no more. Instead, the Supreme Court ruled, the Constitution was in fact silent on abortion, and laws must instead be determined by each state's own government. In the month or so since, the consequences of the end of Roe have started rippling out in all directions. Many states have already banned or severely restricted abortion, and others are planning to do so. But there have also been moves by pro-abortion states and the federal government under Joe Biden to explore ways to protect access to abortion. And across the Atlantic, America's rapidly changing abortion landscape is likely to also have repercussions here in the UK as well. I've been speaking to a handful of British people currently working, campaigning and thinking about abortion to consider what impact the overturning of Roe v Wade might have and how Christians should view this current moment. Crisis, opportunity, or both? Damalola McIndey works for both her church in London and the Evangelical Alliance, but she's also a trustee of a Christian charity which offers counselling and support for women during unplanned pregnancies and after abortions. She said the Supreme Court's ruling was undoubtedly a seismic shift. Yes, like this is a moment that many who are older than me have said they never thought that they'd see happen in their lifetime. Um, so someone who was born into a world where Roe versus Wade was like the background to reality and the 1967 Act here was the background to reality. I guess it's a bit of a seismic shift to see that it's possible for it to be overturned. Um, so I guess I was definitely aware of the significance of the moment. Mm-hmm. I guess, given that, are you kind of curious or even fascinated to see what happens next in the States, because obviously it's a completely different legal situation that we have, but we're now in this kind of brave new world where we're suddenly, we're rolling the clock back to to pre-row and and it's a state by state um, deciding what they want, how they want to regulate or not abortion. Yeah, I think I'm fascinated by where things go next Uh, in terms of like gauging how you judge this decision, like what's, what's the best metric for deciding that, I guess has been the thing that's come to my mind. To what extent does this judgment represent a triumph for the pro-life movement um, or for those who advocate both the life of the mother and the life of the child? And I guess it really depends on what happens next. So I think it's clear that for some states, they relish the opportunity to decide the law here for themselves on both ends of the spectrum and both in terms of liberalizing the law and also in terms of restricting it. And so the, I mean, I guess, yeah, this is definitely embroiled in the culture war, but the overturning of Roe by no means ends the question of, as a society, how do we best um, honor women who find themselves in difficult situations and yet also protect the dignity of life in the womb? And yeah, the jury's out on that. Like the Supreme Court judgment is in on the overturning of Roe, but there's a heck ton of work to be done and a lot that remains to be seen in what happens next. 
But Lois McClatchy, who works for the ADF, a Christian legal advocacy group which has campaigned against abortion, said in the long run the end of Roe was not especially surprising to her. No, I wasn't surprised because I think this is the, the natural ending to a society that values human rights. Um, so Roe was instituted in the 1970s by um, a panel of, of nine uh, male judges, by the way, um, who had decided for the entire nation of America that abortion should be legalized all the way up to birth through all nine months. That put America in a very extreme situation. Um, the only other countries who allow abortion all the way up to nine months, um, or there's only five of them, they include North Korea and China. So this is a very unusual situation. So the court actually recognized that that had been the wrong decision and that this is something that should be decided by the people, by democracy, uh, state by state. So it, it wasn't surprising to me because I felt that it was very much the right decision. But uh, how, how, how did it come to this? Was it as simple as we didn't before have a majority, we didn't have five pro-life judges on the court until now, or has there been some more kind of like complex politics that have led led to this moment? Um, I think that um, it's been a long while of advocacy of the pro-life movement to build up a culture that can sustain support for women and support for children, uh, and to convince the, the general public and the general, you know, gain general support for this idea that we can have a society where women flourish without having to pick between themselves and their child. Um, and the pro-life movement in America have done a great job of that, of, of providing pro-life support, um, providing support to women in crisis pregnancies. And I think that, that momentum has really built um, to sustain a movement where uh, people can believe in better, uh, and therefore it was the right time for this to happen. While getting rid of the constitutional guarantee for abortion has been the pivotal goal of the US pro-life movement for nearly 50 years, many activists and church leaders have now said it is vital the work does not stop here. Lois McClatchy said building out a new pro-life ethic across all areas of society was crucial and went far beyond simply banning abortion. I think what the majority of the pro-life movement stand for, and it's certainly what I stand for, is that we're not on either of the extremes. We are saying that both of these lives are important. And therefore, as I mentioned actually in my premier article last week, this is where the work starts. Now we have the opportunity to be a movement uh, that practices what we preach. And we can support um, yeah, families, women in vulnerable situations and, and children from the early stages of life because that's what an ethic of human rights uh, is built on human equality for, for all, no matter what age or stage that they are at. Yet others are sceptical. Some fear the overturning of Roe will expose the shallow politicisation of the abortion debate by the religious right in America. Many voices predict those who have argued loudest against abortion laws will move on from the issue now that the judgment of Roe has been reversed and will not actually work to expand maternity rights or social security for families. America remains the only developed nation on earth not to guarantee statutory parental leave, for instance. There is definitely, there's been a political hijacking when it comes to the issue of abortion. And Christians are also complicit in that in ways that make me sad at minimum, lead me to despair um, at, at maximum. There's definitely been a, a co-opting of the Christian faith in the political discourse in the States that I'm very, very wary of. Um, and so I think there will be those for whom it ends at that, that's what they were gunning for and they've arrived at their goal. Um, and yeah, I do believe that there will be others who yet want to show what they believe, not just in their words, but in their actions, a la the book of James. And so 
yeah, again, there's there's a huge opportunity here. Abortion has been uh, a token in a culture war. And yet when we like consider what culture is, what is normative in a society, um, it's there that we need to change things. We don't just need culture war, we need cultural change. But Dave Brennan, who leads the anti-abortion group Brefos, said the idea that parts of the pro-life movement only used Roe as a political cudgel and didn't actually care about women or children was false. I think it's important to notice that certainly in the United States, and it's true to an extent here, but certainly in the United States, there already is this incredible culture supporting life at all stages, in particular uh, pregnant mums and newborns and so on. There are, I think, some two and a half thousand at least pregnancy centres in the US, uh, and that represents millions of dollars freely given, mostly by Christians, pro-lifers, to support mothers with their babies. Um, uh, conversely, have a, have a look at how many abortion centres, you know, are donating money to pregnant women to continue their pregnancies, to look after newborns and so on. It just doesn't exist. Uh, so I think it is something of a myth, really, this idea that you've got um, at any scale uh, pro-lifers who only care about making it illegal and don't care about the rest of life. Uh, in the States, you've got about 36 couples queuing up for every one baby going for adoption. Um there's a very strong culture of adoption in the United States, much stronger than here in the church and in parts of the church in the US. It's just a, a given that you adopt whether you have biological children or not. So I do think this is a sort of a pretty empty slur most of the time that's leveled against pro-lifers. Um, of course, you know, we're not perfect. We're going to have blind spots. There's more we could be doing on certain fronts. Um, but I just don't think it's true that, uh, that pro-lifers are less likely to to look after babies post-birth. I think, again, all the data we have shows the opposite. Some Christian pro-lifers, despite being convinced that the unborn child is a person worthy of protection, have been reluctant to join in celebrations over the demise of Roe. In part, this is due to concerns that simply criminalising abortion in about half of America's 50 states won't actually make much of a dent in the number of terminations overall. Instead, much like the prohibition of alcohol a century earlier, people will simply turn to less legal and potentially dangerous backstreet means or travel across borders to get what they want elsewhere. But Lois McClatchy said that these fears were actually not backed up by the evidence. When we look at the, and analyse the, the real data from across the world, that's not quite the story that becomes apparent. So Malta and Poland uh, are two of the countries in Europe that have the best protections for life. So they support life from a very, very early stage. Um, and they actually have the best um, rate of, or the, the lowest rate of maternal death in Europe, and in fact, even across the world. So what is actually more to do with is, is healthcare structure and healthcare support for women. Um, so I think that's a, a kind of a false dichotomy. And we do see that when we look into to better research on it, uh, that it's not about um, providing access to abortion, it's about actually supporting the woman. Dave Brennan made a similar point arguing abortion numbers reliably soar after laws are relaxed and plummet when laws are tightened. Well, I think we have to look at the data and, and the data simply doesn't back up such a claim. Um, we've got a wealth of data from around the world over the last 50, 60 years as to what happens when you make abortion illegal and what happens when you make abortion legal. So, for example, in this country, in, in the United Kingdom, it's estimated before 67, we had something like 10, 20, 30,000 abortions a year. Uh, now we've got about 10 times that. The most recent stats were about 218,000 abortions in England and Wales alone. Um, 
and a similar story in the States and, and indeed all around the world. Conversely, you look at countries that have made abortion illegal um, of the, or, or more restrictive, um, so Poland or uh, El Salvador, other, other nations, um, we've seen uh, the abortion rate plummet. And there's no evidence that that's being sort of top, topped up by backstreet abortions in any great number. So, so this claim that's made is there's just no evidence for it. It's floating on a load of assumptions, unproven claims. Uh, and that stands to reason. That, that's precisely why we make laws, because laws do make a difference. They discourage certain behaviours. Otherwise, why would we waste all the time and money making them? So, so clearly it makes a difference. Um, because quite simply, for, for many people, the law is the closest thing they have to a moral code. You know, the, the response in a sort of largely secular sort of post-Christian culture is, well, if it's legal, it must be okay in many cases. And of course, there is the threat of punishment. There's the inconvenience. There's the stigma that comes when something's illegal. And so it really does make it a lot less common. That's what the data shows us. In truth, the situation is complex and quite hard to predict. However, it seems America might unintentionally provide the world a live experiment in the idea that banning legal abortions does not save many babies' lives. Reports suggest that about half of the 50 states intend to significantly restrict or ban abortion as a result of the Supreme Court ruling, leaving another 25 or so still offering terminations. And on top of simply crossing state lines to find a clinic, many women can and already are ordering abortion pills online to evade their own state's laws. Planned Parenthood has also reported large rises in the number of Texan women seeking abortions in states neighbouring Texas, which has had a six-week limit on abortions in place since September last year. Damilola McInday argued that while falls in abortion numbers were a good thing, it was a complex and nuanced debate which shouldn't get simply sidetracked into competing facts and figures. Will this reduce the overall number of abortions? I think in the short term it will, as different states try to work out new provisions that will like enter the space um, that has now been created. Um, and yet, like off the cuff lawmaking has so many pitfalls. So what the ultimate trajectory is there, I'm not quite sure. To the extent that there might be a reduction in the overall number of abortions that occur, I think that is a good thing, but it's not something that occurs in a vacuum. So as you rightly point to, there are such things as backstreet abortions, and there is the reality of women going to different states or different countries to procure abortions. Um, and yet, in terms of nuancing that, I think the situation that we have when we discuss abortion, there's always the tension of recognizing the real and difficult situations a number of women find themselves in. Definitely hear and highly regard the argument that we don't want to be push, um, pushing women into backstreet abortions and alleyways and awful things like that. And yet I don't believe legalizing abortion or having um having fewer restrictions in the way that we do here is the proportionate response to that reality. Um, in terms of a change in the law not having an effect on the overall number of abortions, I just don't think that's true. Um, so for example, I mean, the state of Texas in the States has been in a bit of a back and forth with the Supreme Court around its bans. Um, and it currently has a six week ban on abortion, which is quite drastic um, considering that over here it's yeah 24 weeks. Um, but over there, they found that in the first month of that law being introduced, that they had a 60% decrease in the number of abortions that were um, taken, that took place in the state. And um, 60% is not a marginal figure. That's, that's quite significant. So I think 
more restrictive laws definitely do have an impact on the overall number and it's not to gloss over that women will still seek abortions in a number of ways what's a more proportionate way of handling that reality and catering to the welfare of women that doesn't um that doesn't lead to a culture that devalues unborn life that's what i'm interested in premier christian newscast Premier Christian Newscast. But what about the impact on the British abortion debate? Will the end of Roe turbocharge our own pro-life movement? Or see America's bitter culture war on abortion spill across the Atlantic? Alice Chaika, the director of the Pregnancy Centres Network, which is an association of Christian crisis pregnancy centres, said it was inevitable that the Roe ruling would ignite further debate in Britain on abortion. Yeah, of course, it does have implications, even, as you say, as onlookers, as it were, from the, from the outside perspective, actually, we see what happens there, and then it just even triggers the thought, triggers a conversation or continues a conversation as it is. Let's not, you know, this has obviously been around this issue for a long time, but... Um, Absolutely. I would say it is it will have, um, you know, implications for us here in how we deal with things, even if not a direct link to those policies, but just beginning conversations that maybe with a different approach or, you know, um, refiring conversations that have been going on. Hmm. Um, some time. What what more kind of, what implications do you think it will have here in the UK? I mean, some people suggest that it might lead to a kind of resurgence in enthusiasm for the pro-life movement what other people say no it's going to cause a big backlash from from the pro-choice side who will be kind of horrified at what's happening in the states and will kind of up the ante here do you do you have any expectations or have you seen anything so far about which way it might go in this side of the pond yeah so i mean i suppose that there are as ever those those two really polarized sides aren't there and i think maybe just for the sake of this as well it's worth saying i think how sometimes those those two polarized pro-choice pro-life terms can, can be really unhelpful in these sorts of conversations where we're trying to make our way through what is a a real issue for for real women you know behind all of those statistics behind all of the um toing and froing between political um you know individuals or you know people in government different parties um you know at the heart of it there are women who are in these situations and you know who need to um, yes, yeah, support and help through this. Um, you know, there are some who are suggesting, well, potentially this might result in, you know, more restrictive abortion laws in the UK. People, you know, referring to things like um, prenatal scanning, you know, babies having survived outside of the womb from earlier points. Maybe this is something we revisit to, to tighten the restrictions in the UK. Um, whereas on the other side, of course, there's also people from, yeah, from the pro-choice um, movement saying actually we, this can be a, a trigger point and a, you know where there is that outcry that we will move to um, you know extending the, the abortion rights to, to loosening those and actually to decriminalization of, of abortion um, you know completely in our society. Lois McClatchy argued that the Supreme Court's decision had reiterated to British people on both the pro-life and pro-choice sides of the argument that the issue was not yet settled. Well, it shows that um, the question of abortion is not settled. It's one of the most fundamentally important questions that we can face in our lifetime. Like, what is human equality and how do we support equality for all people, no matter um, how big or small, how um, able or, or in any, any circumstance? And 
we know from polling that in the UK, um, 70% of women are not satisfied with the current um, law on abortion. They think actually um, our abortion limit goes up to 24 weeks. Most women would like to see that lowered. Um, so it shows that the conversation is, is open, uh, that women have something to say on this, and that uh, we should be open to adapting our laws and our circumstances in light of new information, in light of medical technology that supports life from the woman, in, in light of um, being able to, to sustain life from earlier stages all the time. Damanola Mackenday suggested that the end of Roe had opened a window for the British church to reopen the national conversation around abortion. As a Christian, I do think this is a unique opportunity for the Christian church um, to take hold of this cultural moment, not to try and win political gains or gain cultural currency, but to make it a conversation again. What the United States has had since the Roe decision has been um, the politicization of the issue, which has been devastating in many respects. Um, but if one can find a good thing about um, the horrors of yeah, a, a deeply politicized and highly polarized and political conversation, it's at least it was a conversation. I think in many respects, abortion has fallen off our radar as a conversation in this nation. Um, and that's not to belittle the work of those who um, pipe up and seek to speak into this and not just speak into this, but um, like choices make a real difference in the lives of people who are facing crisis moments or at least um, grappling with what to do when they find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy situation. So all of that stuff is happening and praise God for it. And yeah, I think by and large in, in our churches, we don't have language for what it is to discuss um, pregnancy and abortion well. Um, and so I think this is an opportunity for the church to work out what it is to fully affirm life in all respects. She said she knew of a church in the US which had chosen to respond to the issue of abortion in their city by becoming champions of fostering and adoption. Now, 70% of the approved foster carers in that city were church-going believers. Because they have said, we're not just going to deal with this in the level of political conversation. We are going to put our money where our lives are and we're, we're going to have people who... Um, yeah, embrace sacrifice to say actually all life is dignified and we want to put, um, we want to show the reality of that in how we facilitate our communicate communities and how we um, give a public witness to Jesus has an implication for those who are um, dispossessed. It has an implication for those who come from different ethnic backgrounds. It comes from those who come, it has implications for those who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So that's really encouraging to me. And my hope is that here in the UK that we do something similar. Um, and yet there is definitely a danger that this falls into, I mean, like we're not the United States when it comes to polarization, thank God, but we are definitely becoming more polarized as a society. And there have already been um, moves by Stella Creasy MP to put abortion on the table as a fundamental right when it comes to the new Bill of Rights that the United Kingdom is looking to adopt. Um, and so this is a live issue for us and there's a moment for Christians to engage here, not only in the realm of the political, that's only one aspect of it, it's an important aspect of it, but also to make sure that what we're saying into, into the political arena is backed by how we are hosting communities, churches, and how we are opening our doors to those who are least privileged in our society and who find themselves in difficult situations. But Dave Brennan suggested a different tack for British believers. 
rather than aiming to depoliticise the issue of abortion. He said the ruling should energise the UK's anti-abortion movement. Yeah, it's been very interesting here in the UK. I think we've seen it um, in a way accelerate or perhaps uh, distill and expose what, where people are, are at or what their trajectory is. So, so within the church, um, I've certainly seen some people emboldened and encouraged and energised and people even you know coming out of the woodwork, it seems, for the first time and, and expressing support for this. And, and that's been wonderful. That's definitely uh, been encouraging to, to me. We mustn't shy away from political things because they're political. You know, everything's political in a sense. Um, and certainly trying to create laws that protect innocent, vulnerable people, that, that's political. So again, we've got to make peace with that. However, I think we can tread wisely um, in that, you know, culture, culture wars needn't be an embarrassment or something to be avoided per se. I think you want to engage wisely. So um, culture wars actually give us an opportunity to examine what people are living for and what their fundamental beliefs are. There's a real gospel opportunity, actually, in the so-called political issues or the culture war issues. If we'll, if we'll take those opportunities. So, you know, we go out on the streets ed educating about the reality of abortion. We show pictures to show the humanity of the unborn child uh, and also the inhumanity of abortion, what happens to a baby during abortion. Um, and we find these present gospel opportunities because we're showing people what human beings are and how wonderfully made we are and also the horror of what happens to them and how is that okay or is that okay? What do you think about that? And you know, do you think there's forgiveness for someone who's done this? And so, you know, I don't think we need to see a, a conflict between uh, these issues, political, cultural, whatever, and our, our gospel mandate. Actually, I think there's an opportunity here. So I find that exciting and energising. But for British Christians already engaged in a very different kind of work around abortion, the route map sketched out by Dave Brennan does not appeal. Alice Chiker from the Pregnancy Centres Network said the road decision and its aftermath would not budge them from their own path. It won't change who we are, um, I believe. Uh, you know, at our very heart, um, we believe that actually women need support. They need to make an informed choice, their own choice, about what they want to do in their individual situation and circumstance. Um, and so I think, you know, my, my hope and my dream would actually be that around these conversations, what could come out of that um, is a real desire and um, for women to be able to access that support, that non-judgmental place where they can just go, as you say, take a breath, um, you know, and think about what they are really feeling, think about what their thoughts are, their situation, so that in amongst all of this, they can decide what is right for them. Um, some yeah a colleague of mine was was talking about this with me recently and you know in the end some of our clients all of this legal um talk and the the political aspect of it, it doesn't necessarily change their personal experience when they're there in the room at that moment of course it has impacts as we know um i'm not saying that it doesn't impact but actually when when they're there facing this decision for themselves you know, their thoughts are probably going to go to what is my situation? What is my partner going to think? What am I going to do in this circumstance rather than what does the law say? Um, you know, and so really for, for us, it is to keep that that message at the heart, you know, to not let it be um, uh, yeah, something that comes into, into the room when we're talking with, with women. 
So there are several potential futures for the British pro-life scene in the aftermath of the momentous change on the other side of the Atlantic. And there's also little clarity on how the abortion debate will go in America, as each state wrestles with what regime to choose for itself. Time will tell if this further inflames the culture war, re-energises the church, or turbocharges the pro-life movement. Or perhaps all three at the same time. That's all we've got time for on this week's newscast, but don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in whatever app you use to make sure every episode is automatically available for you when it's released. If you've enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it if you could review Premier Christian Newscast on your app and tell your friends about us. We're a new podcast and so we'd love to get the word out as much as possible. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 